The Puritan's Guide to Fall Songs Guide. Terrible. I mean, they're better than anything that the, the song was about. You know, it's, it's just like, that's great, isn't it, where he says, I'm going to go out tonight and shag some cows to death. <laughs> you know? Tonight's song is... How I wrote Elastic Man by The Fall was, uh, let's see, originally released on July 11th, 1980 uh, as a 7-inch single. Um, So the main thing about this song for me was I was always trying to figure out why... Oh, wait, let me turn it up a bit. (laughs) I apparently am speaking softer now. So why... This song was called How I Wrote Elastic Man and Not Plastic Man, because I remember Plastic Man. Yeah. So apparently there was was something called Elastic Man. Um, It was called Ping. I think this is on on Annotated Fall, of course. But it was called Ping the Elastic Man. Hey, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, We also have a special guest with uh, yams here (laughs) as a cat. One of our, one of my cats. So uh, if you hear him, uh, it's a cat, not the ghost of Marky Smith or something. Um, so uh, Ping the Elastic Man was a comic in the late 30s. Um, the creator was Hugh McNeil, uh, who was born in Manchester and died in 1979, uh, apparently a few months before the live debut of How I Wrote Elastic Man. So that was interesting. That is interesting. But also, the main thing is most people think that it was changed to Elastic Man from Plastic Man so that they wouldn't get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there you go. There's that one. Um, So just a little bit about Plastic Man. And also, I guess before I... Will you stop walking on shit? Um, Before before I start on the Plastic Man, I wanted to say that this is kind of the... It's a continuation of our authors in fall songs. Right. Although this one I was a little confused because I was thinking it would be an author, but it's more about a non-specific author, Mm -hmm. I guess, once I started thinking about it. But anyway, so Jack Cole was uh, the man who created Plastic Man. It was in 1941. Um, He used to also draw cartoons and he used to do Playboy cartoons. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Oh, that's right. I do remember Jack Cole from my dad's Playboys. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you only I got nothing to hide You, you only read him for the cartoons <laughs> Only read him for the cartoons uh, and the film reviews uh-huh. um, So uh, sadly Cole killed himself in 1958 No one is sure why And, uh, and the suicide note he left Didn't explain it <clears throat> Wow So yeah I don't know what that's all about <laughs> uh, So I remember Plastic Man Because uh, it was a cartoon On Saturday mornings. Saturday mornings, like I was gonna say, ABC probably yeah. a part of that whole like Call of Justice thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Justice League. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I remember that one. That's um, that's the only reason I know them as well. And and they've since done other more recent Justice League comics with him being a prominent part. In oh, it. really? Yeah. Interesting. I have an I have an issue that uh, Pat, comedian Pat Oswalt wrote. Oh. The wrote everything for it, and uh, yeah, it's really great. But Plastic Man, yeah, very very prominent figure in that still. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. Um, I think that uh, it's also the song is also a bit strange because it's called "How I Wrote Elastic Man," but he says Plastic Man in the song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so 
So it's also kind of part of the song. So people are always asking, asking him how he wrote Plastic Man. But the song is called How I Wrote Elastic Man. And it's all about a frustrated author. <laughs> like everybody's getting his stuff wrong yeah, or whatever. Getting so. the name of my project wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Mark himself said something to the effect of... Uh, um, it's about an author who becomes a celebrity and it fucks up his art. Basically, <laughs> that's what Mark felt the whole song was about. I wonder if he ever had that concerns about his own work. Like, I, was he fine with being sort of a cult artist and, and not being a pop success because for fear of what that might do to his art? Yeah, it would seem so. And I think that that's probably part of it. I think part of it's probably like in, what is it, C and C s mithering yeah where it's like they think i sound like johnny rotten and then they say hello see you mate you know or whatever <laughs> right. yeah see you mate see you mate yeah see you mate um i think it's kind of the same thing where he's like he's basically talking about how <laughs> you know poor misunderstood mark but also <laughs> you know actually being misunderstood about like whatever yeah and there and there has been times where from what i've read he talked about how he just he kept it, and I know we've talked about this a lot too, sure. where he kept his own uh, fan base small so he wouldn't have to deal with, hey, what are you doing? Stop it. He, so he wouldn't have to deal with the larger fan base and having to deal with, you know, larger record companies or something like that. Yeah, so. but, you know, you listen to the, the Bricks era stuff, and it's not like he was shying away from catchy songs and, no, you know, true. verse, chorus, verse. Structures. I think, I think this one's fairly catchy. It's just that nobody, oh, sure. they, nobody tuned the guitar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I think, and also, I think this is one of those uh, songs from the period where Mark was calling him country and northern songs. Yeah. So, uh, what is it like? The NWRA is that a country and northern song? Yeah, definitely, definitely container drivers. Yes, country northern. But this one is too, and also. Uh, what, uh, where is it? Um, oh, the opening riff mimics pictures of matchstick men. Yeah. So, which I thought was pretty interesting. Because those guys work basically a bar band, uh, whatever their name was. Not Camper Status Van Quo. Yeah, Status Quo. <laughs> so, Status Quo is like, if you read any, like, if you read criticism about status quo or they get mentioned in criticism mm-hmm. from around the time period or even now like a lot of it's just like oh they wear lots of denim like so they they're not really they're seen as like you know just kind of blokes like in a bar band just yeah. everyday dudes in a bar band writing songs but they've been around i think they're still around. they're still around yeah, yeah. and it, it, they like one of the more successful rock bands from the uk yeah, yeah. Well, here at least are they, are, are they here? I don't know. Are they from here? I don't know. No, 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 no not no, here. No, oh, they're from the UK. I mean, but are but no over there? They they're still really well recognized. Oh, okay. and they might play like I don't know, like casinos here or something like that, or like some never, you know yeah, third know. on some you know uh, classic rock bill. Right, right. But you know, but I mean, but you opening know, for CCR. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, pictures of Matchstick Man was like them. You know, dabbling in acid rock and you know, right. trying to be psychedelic, like a lot of bands were. At that yeah, time, but so. if you listen, they're pretty straight ahead, though. Nowadays, yeah, they yeah. especially yeah, as the as the the sixties wore on into the seventies, they started getting really more uh, dull. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it that way. That's true. 
What else? Oh, this was this was the song where your brother actually has a mention yeah. in the on the annotated fall. Yeah. So yeah. your brother was the one who brought up uh, leather thighs, which is uh, the name of a great prison novel, quote unquote, in a Firesign Theater sketch. Yeah. And I also re- remember today that it's that same phrase is used in a pavement song. Oh yeah, the pavement song in which they use the cadence from. Um, uh, new face in hell. It's called. I think it's called. I think it's fame thrower. Yes, that, that sounds right. Yeah. So he. So the. So the breakdown starts like I. Cl- I clicked with her leather thighs in the pavement song. So I always thought it was equipped with leather thighs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, another another borrowing or possibly just uh, he liked. Firesign Theater, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. That's Yeah, I don't know if he was a, a big Firesign guy or not. I mean, some of their more playful uh, experimentation on record, like um, uh, there were all bozos on this bus, especially. Right. Um, the sonic sort of playfulness on that one, I could see mirrored in, like, especially the, the solo record that he did, that Marky e. Smith did. Oh, right, right. You yeah, know? definitely. And some of the others. I mean, because, you know, we get into the other songs we might get into today, there's a bit of that too, you know, just him, him fucking around with, you know, the way things are recorded and not wanting it to sound very clean. Yeah, and definitely. Clear, you know? I also think that Firesign, a lot of their albums were meant to be like, Mind fucks more than anything, yeah. to put it one way. I guess <laughs> I don't know. True, I mean, they're though. definitely they're definitely like you know uh, psychedelic sort of radio show. Yeah, and they meant to do that. And like, if you listen to their stuff, you're even to this day, you're just like, what? Yeah, just happened. Yeah, it's yeah. it's sort of the 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 similar aesthetic that the, the Grateful <clears throat> Dead did with Anthem of the Sun. Where right. like we're gonna do these like sidelong things that are supposed to mirror the acid ex- the LSD experience, and you know sort of the peaks and valleys of that. And so when you're listening to this, you're supposed to be augmented by you being super high while you're listening to these. And records. also on the Anthem of the Sun, there's live and studio stuff mixed in. Exactly. And yeah. like all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was explaining to someone who wasn't isn't a deadhead, but who is like married to one like that. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, they like they like the dead, but the the husband apparently is like a much Super more obsessive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I actually like a few Grateful Dead albums, and they're like, oh, you should never tell a deadhead that. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> what do I give that, a shit? Man. Yeah, <laughs> I think I was like, well, I've actually seen them, <laughs> unlike your husband. <laughs> anyway, uh, so. Anyway, uh, how do we get on the dead? I don't know. We were oh, talking about oh, we were talking about two drummers, which the fall also yes. had. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so. I like the. Uh, um, I mean, speaking of the leather thighs thing, because that is, you know, from this lyric, his last work was "Space Mystery" in the Daily Mail, an article on leather thighs, which uh, someone right. on the the Genius website uh, posited that it was. Um, a reference to Kurt Vonnegut and how he oh. would write, uh, or there was, uh, you know, his character Kilgore Trout who would write sci-fi stories that would end up in porn mags. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Especially for someone who's not being uh, viewed in 
as not necessarily literary genius, but who mm-hmm. can't get a fucking job because you know <laughs> they've been pigeonholed as something that they aren't nece- that they want to move away from. Yeah. So they're writing under the Kilgore Trout name, you know, and you're able to get paid at least from from yeah. Playboy or or whoever. Yeah, exactly. Although I would imagine, did did he write Kilgore under for Playboy? Because it seems like once Vonnegut got going. Like, maybe in the beginning. Maybe, yeah. But it seems like once Vonnegut got going, they would have just had Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. Because he was pretty... He was, a, he was a name, especially for Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah, you know? yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I, honestly, I don't know a ton about... Uh, Vonnegut? Vonnegut, yeah. yeah. I didn't get into him in high school, so I never... So I was like, once I started, I did. I have read a few things, and I like Same them. here, yeah. I, I'm just like... I think I'm a little old. <laughs> I mean, Slaughterhouse Five is great. Yeah, I do like it. I'm stopped in the middle of Cat's Cradle for some reason. I like that one a lot. I yeah, like Cat's Cradle. I like Hocus Pocus. One of his uh, later books, I like guess, one of his one oh, of the I've last heard... books he did before he he died. Yeah, yeah, no, I've heard that one's a good one. Yeah, I haven't read that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, Vonnegut. Um, but yeah, so I think. I think that's probably astute, as le- at least is like saying that could be Kurt Vonnegut, because I would guess that Mark would have read some Vonnegut oh, sure. in his day. Um, let's see what else. So I think that the main thing. Um, what did I write that for? <laughs> oh, for some reason, I wrote that like. And I don't know where I got this sort of as an actual thought for me, which is kind of strange. Ooh. I know. So I wrote that, like, for someone who hated, like, press interviews and obscured his words a lot in the early days, mm-hmm. like, this one makes pretty linear and literal sense. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, as we'll get into at some point, Spectre versus Rector, where, which is completely different but yeah <laughs> or or the or you know some of some of the other stuff that we like the guard like garden where you know you have scenes but they aren't they don't necessarily come together whereas yeah. this one's like totally about a writer who doesn't feel loved and is trying to make you know trying to work for his art but he he's getting screwed by everyone who's taking it one way and he wants to move on to the next thing. Right. But nobody's allowing him to, basically. Yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. You know, I wonder for Marky e. Smith, like writing this, uh, whether, uh, I mean, whether it was seeing some of his favorite writers sort of go down that path and sort of start making weird commercial choices and right. uh, losing something of themselves along the way. Um, as well as a lot of some musicians that I'm sure he was a fan of, like the status quo we're talking about here. Also, you know? Plastic Man's a kink song. Yes. From around that same time, too. Yeah. And it's about posers, if I remember right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wrote, I actually wrote phony poser in quotation mark types. <laughs> Just, I got really clinical there for a second. Um, so, so yeah, I, 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 Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. Was that was that was my it. whole point right there. because yeah. uh, you know he is a fan of uh, a lot of 
don't know if the word is outre musicians, just a lot of, you know, a lot of outsider artists and stuff that isn't necessarily commercially viable, like Can right. or, you know, any of the kraut rock stuff that he was into and some, uh, you know, novelty singles and things like that that they were <laughs> covering and listening to a bunch. Like and whether what? it was just like this idea of, of, of just watching these people that he respected sort of screw themselves over by chasing down commercial uh, success. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't and that's also a question, you know, of that punk rock aesthetic of mm-hmm. outsider artists in general. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, you know, if we're going to talk about that era, because this was 1980 when this came out. Yeah. I mean, he had to, I mean, he had been releasing records for a couple of years. They'd been releasing records for a couple of years the fall. And they had to have seen, like, so many artists that came out of the post-punk universe start making those concessions and start making more palatable records for audiences. Right. yeah. And... Or even just The Clash is yeah. what I was thinking, too. Yeah, right. exactly. Because um, they weren't afraid of pop success at all. They were no, uh, they were after it. Yeah, definitely. They signed yeah, they signed a huge label to begin with. Yeah. So they were like Yeah, they weren't they wanted to get to as many people as possible or whatever that argument is. Yeah. And you know, Mark and and the fall and lots of other people were like recording things horribly at this point. Not <laughs> right. not really tuning up everything as it should be or whatever you know what I mean so um, so no that makes sense so it could be just that the entire song was basically about those two camps of of art you know Mm -hmm. Um, but also just putting it into the the uh, perspective of writing which was so important to Mark and authors since you know as he said I think there wasn't this mention of the annotated fall or another that was another it was a Rolling Stone thing that I read was as he said to Q magazine writing lyrics is what I got into rock music for uh huh so you know he Yams lo- agrees the Yams agrees <laughs> he's you know he loves the written word and he was a big you know yeah well he never book nerd yeah <laughs> basically I mean that's what he was into he wasn't really into or at least how he per- gets portrayed and portrays himself, himself. Yeah. Uh, wasn't a musician liked words instead. Yeah. So, although you know, <laughs> could he play an instrument? Have we ever asked this question? Mm, I don't think we have yet. Um, I don't know that he ever like. I've I've never seen him play an instrument. No, uh, but it also seems to me like I know that. So we did. What was what's that one with the horrible recording and then. Uh, Puritan. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you listen to the kind of crappy recording in the house, he's saying, no, no, you, you could, you do that part and then you go back to this part. Right. And then you got to do that part. So he understood what was going on, but I don't know that he really played anything. He might have, but you know, he, I would have to look that up. Like, I don't know if you were could like sit down at a piano and plunk some things out right. or something like that but it was more like well neither could yeah neither could Captain Beefheart it's true but that it's didn't true stop but that him. didn't stop him yeah <laughs> but um I f- yeah he was good with like understanding like you know musical structures and like how to direct musicians and I don't think he had like the language like he couldn't say 
go from A to F in this part. He would never say something like that. Or just like, do that part first and then do this next one. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, you know, like I've mentioned many times, there's really only two parts to most fall songs. It's so. true. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. Um, uh, but, yeah, I'm not sure. And I... I don't remember ever reading that he could in any of the books or anything yeah, I've read. Neither have I. So and and it could just be a matter of him like saying, "Oh, you should." I mean, just with as many times as they borrow things from mm-hmm. songs, I w- I, w- I always wondered if he was more like, "Hey, you know this riff and this song. Listen to this riff. It should sounds kind of like that." Yeah, I bet he does that a lot. And it seems to me that in uh, the big midweek that. Uh, What's his face? Craig wrote uh, about his time in the fall. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Craig Scanlon. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yet another day where I can't remember anything. As my dad used to say, I would forget my head if it wasn't attached. Hey, <laughs> that's true. Sorry. Um. Anyway, so yeah, in, in Big Midweek, uh-huh. it was basically him. Like, whenever Mark was in the studio, if he wasn't yelling at everyone, he was doing stuff like that. Like, saying, here, play play it like this song, or play mm-hmm. it like this thing, or play that thing you guys were doing in practice, or whatever. Yeah. And so, um, Which know. is not an unusual practice. I think Beefheart is a great example, and even down to, you know, when I read about... Um, I don't know if I read this, or I saw this in, a, in an interview with about R.E.M., about how the way that they would write songs was basically like, you know, Bill Berry, Mike Mills, and Peter Buck would just be jamming on stuff. Yeah. And Michael Stipe would just be there in the studio listening to it and then go, no, wait, that part, repeat that part, and just sort of direct them a little bit more than, you know, having like uh, the musical acumen to be like, you know, no, no, play the F again or, you know, right, play the right. G minor. Is that, a, is that a note, G minor? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that good with that stuff either. I'm a drummer. I don't know that stuff. <laughs> I can never remember. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I don't so, know. So I think, yeah, I, I think it's there's certain personalities that just, you know, almost, um, I don't know, like sort of are, are built to be front people in a, in a <clears throat> band and not necessarily, you know, writing the songs per se, but you know what I mean? Just like not, yeah. not handling the musical things, but sort of almost being a weird sort of musical director. Yeah, and it, it kind of sounds in in a lot of ways like Beefheart, like they always yeah. had a musical director within the fall, mm-hmm. whoever that might be within any given period. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and the, you can play a G minor. Good. Thank you. <laughs> See, I wanted. I know to, something. I wanted to make sh- <laughs> make sure I was a real musician and think about that for a second. Um. So. Uh, but what, no, yeah. So what I was going to say was it always seems like there was like a, somebody who was there to kind of interpret things. Yeah. Like for a while as Mark Riley and then probably became Craig Scanlon. And even before Riley, it was, uh, whoever was like the first guitar, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, Um, the first guitarist that they kicked out or (laughs) he quit that went on to do, what is it? The blue flower? No, not blue flowers. That's, uh. The Bluebells? No. no, it's not the Bluebells. Uh, shit. Anyway, uh, Blue Orchids. That was it. Yes. I knew I'd get around to it. I knew it had something to do with flowers, but I also knew that that was a rapper, <laughs> not not the not the fall. You're thinking of the Doctor Octagon. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so yeah, Blue Orchid. That guy was like the main. He and uh, 
the keyboard player from the first album. Yeah. Uh, they went off to form the Blue, or- Blue Orchid. Is it? It's not the Blue Orchid. It's I just it's Blue, Blue Orchid. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Anyway, so they were they were like the musical. Hey, don't knock that off. Don't eat my phone. Uh, they they were. I I get this feeling like he was the musical director at that point. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so that's basically all I had about that song. <laughs> it was. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting pick because of the authorship or the author slant yeah you know not necessarily a, an actual author that we could point to although we could point to sort of with some, plastic man and elastic man yeah but. some reference point there but it's most more more about just the you know and i also think that it's never is it ever mentioned in the song that it's a comic book no yeah it's not no so so he's he's not necessarily talking about a comic book writer yeah although it that fits in pretty well with the song and like Genre fiction and people not being taken seriously for being genre yeah. authors and stuff. Or, you know, people who write comic books not being taken seriously as writers. Right. Which I don't think is a, I don't think is a concern anymore. No, I don't think that so. Because is a, is a, it's a writer's medium now is what it feels like. Besides, I mean, you know, it's visual as well, but, you know, there's so many writers that have come out of that world or writers who have jumped into that world, like, uh, what is it, Tana Tana. How do you say the guy's name? Ta-Nehisi, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Coates. Like yeah. he did a run oh, really? on Black Panther oh. that apparently is terrible. I don't know. I'm just going, <laughs> I by, know. I, going by some informed opinions. You I, know? Haven't, I haven't paid attention to comics in forever. Yeah. So yeah, he I'm, did a Black yeah. Panther run, and I mentioned Pat Oswalt. Like he's done comics as yeah. well. Uh, but then you know, I don't know. Like um, I, I think about the local guy Matt Fraction as being like a really great example of a great comic writer who probably could do something else, like write scripts or something. But right. So it's not as looked down upon anymore. That's sort a, of a low art. I'm never, I'm never going to remember anyone's name. That's but, all right. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of comic writers locally that I've read some stuff. One of them is a guy who does a lot of like, he's more of a like reportage stuff. Like he was over in Bosnia and then. Oh, um, you know who I'm talking about? Joe Sacco. Yeah. Yeah. Him. Uh, he's fantastic. I like his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I like his stuff a lot. So I. Ha- so I do know I I just not the way I did even if I did as a kid. Yeah. Like, I was reading like I read uh first runs of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and was reading like Judge Dredd and Oh, I love Judge Dredd, yeah. And you know, like Alan Moore. Yeah. In early in high school. Yeah. Um, I think that is uh, some of that era. I think is when they started getting past this idea of comic book writers being yeah, definitely being like low art. You know, like oh, you're just a comic book writer, or like that's you know what people who can't write actual books can go and do. Or you get people like Alan Moore, right, right, who are you know doing these amazingly researched, annotated things, yeah. and you know, I, I haven't. Is it Jerusalem? I haven't read Jerusalem. I haven't yet, either. No, in which he places the entirety of the world within the comic book or something yeah <laughs> uh yeah so i i think he's gonna come up in one of our other songs yeah quickly i think so because uh he's kind of not related but related to a discussion inspector yes slash rector yeah <laughs> or stroke if you're from britain um but anyway yeah, I didn't, and also strangely, I read The Punisher a lot, which has become like some sort of weird right wing icon now. Yeah, I think so. It's just weird. It's like really because you, the guy who didn't take care of himself at all and yeah. like lived to just kill the people who killed his family. Yeah. That's you guys, who you want. Oh, you guys good, don't understand irony. Like, good that's call. Completely 
passing mm. you by. All right, yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah I, no, I, that's basically their problem. I yeah, think. yeah. Um. <laughs> I like you know, um, I like the, the the line in here that he was that he gets into about uh, I'm living a fake. People say you are entitled to and great, but I haven't wrote for ninety days. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I I, I loved that that bit just because. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like as a writer myself, like that's something people sort of, you know, puff you up as being fantastic. And then you're just like, but I feel like a fraud. <laughs> you know, I just I can't write. This is, ugh, you know, so I, I I have a hard time taking praise for my work. And so I, I, I see myself a little bit in that line. Oh, no, I do, too. Yeah. I, I think of myself as a fraud in everything. So, I you know, that's cool. I understand. <laughs> 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 so no, I, I like that line a lot too. Whoops! Yeah. I just moved the microphone, so hopefully there's not a big. <laughs> so I'll just repeat that in case there is. Uh, where was I? I'm a fraud. Uh, so I like that line as well. Yeah, I, I was saying. So, uh, so I think that's also what I was getting at when it was like, these words are really true and not obscured in any sort of yeah. way, uh, like his others words from this time period. Yeah. That's kind of kind of an interesting take. And and like before and after. Like yeah. he was still obscuring words way after. <laughs> it's just like this one song seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. Like maybe he's just not pulling it from different slips of paper. You know what I mean? Yeah, like maybe. He sat down with one piece of paper, wrote out the whole thing or something. Yeah. And just had it there. I haven't read I've you know read a lot of interviews with Marky Smith and I'm trying to remember if there was ever any point in, in an interview with him where he sort of cons- where he considered himself a fraud where he like was self-conscious about his work because I think I think the the party line about Marky Smith is about him being so egotistical right and being so dictatorial with his band which everybody knows that but um, what were there ever moments of self-doubt or was he just you know plowing forward <laughs> free of that yeah concern. that's hard to say I mean you know it's how he gets portrayed but it's also kind of how he is in every interview yeah. I read uh, it's, it's how people talk about him yeah He's just, so I don't know like maybe possibly yeah. probably but he was he was just like well you're not you're part of the press and you're not gonna go you know yeah. you're not gonna know you're not gonna get this out of me yeah pink Pink press rat or whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, the love hate that he had with the press. Like, he and Dylan were so great at that. Just you know. I think that that's part of it too. Yeah, I mean Dylan never. Well, they both were big speed freaks too. Yes. So, uh, you know, when, when you there. when you do a lot of speed, you tend to be pretty full of yourself, mm-hmm. or at least look like it because you're. That's all you're thinking about. Yeah. Being conquer the world, or that, that possibly stuff. you need to clean the house, and then you get into cleaning the house. You're going, you clean the house, clean the house, clean the house. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I I don't know if it's because of the drugs or because he wanted to do that, but it doesn't ever seem like I don't know if this was necessarily a way in. If he was talking about someone else, he's talking about himself. Yeah. Uh, to to what Marquis Smith really was, or if it's just another one of his stories that he made up. Yeah. Or just, you know, tapping into... So I don't think he's... I, sorry. No, it's I, okay. I just, I don't think he's like, uh, you know, uh, a confessional sort of writer no, at all. I don't all. think so either. He's like, fuck <laughs> off. You know, like, there's no, you're not, you don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, he's not Robert Lowell no. in any sort of, <laughs> sort of way. 
Yeah, I um, yeah, I don't think he's got any long nights of the soul where he's like, you know, up late smoking cigarettes. Like, why am I only suck so bad? Only if he's done too much speaking. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, I he's can't just sleep. like, well, you know, why does my band suck so bad? <laughs> right, right. I gotta get rid of these guys. Yeah.